I'm Hani Naga, a Duke Plastic Surgery resident, and you're listening to Residency Roundtable, a new resident review miniseries. Today, I'll be joined by two highly accomplished incoming plastic surgery residents at different programs across the country. Um, Masa Toskindus is one of our guests, and she'll be joining the University of Washington Plastics Residency Program this summer. She graduated from Duke undergrad with a degree in biology, has been at Duke for medical school as well, and has been very engaged with plastic surgery societies and educational committees here at Duke, as well as nationally. We'll also be joined by Jessica Ong, who will be joining Georgetown's residency program. And Jessica got her MD, PhD at the combined UCLA Caltech MSTP program and has a PhD in molecular biology. I can't wait to get to the conversation with our guests, but since this is a new series, I thought I'd just give a little bit of an introduction. The intention with this miniseries was to provide a platform for us trainees at different levels to have candid conversations about life at each level in training. Um, coming up the ranks can be an overwhelming process, as I know it has been at times for me. And I think that this podcast can give not only us, the hosts, an opportunity to unpack and process some of the educational challenges that we go through, but also the chance to relate with, people's, with people at programs across the country. I hope you guys enjoy listening to this podcast as much as we enjoy producing them. Um, with that, let's get started. Dr. Taskinduced. Dr. Ong, how's it going? <laughs> it still sounds weird hearing that, but uh, we are super excited to be here. Um, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank We're, you so much for having us. Um, really excited to be here. Of course, of course. Um, so how's the end of uh, MS4 life treating you guys? So I'm, I'm still technically a medical student, but uh, I've been done with classes for at least a month. I'm just enjoying life, traveling. I went to Portugal. I'm in Houston right now and we're heading back to LA to, to finally walk and uh, graduate. But uh, we have a newly minted doctor in our presence. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> it's so, I think like any transition just takes time to really accept and grasp, you know, what this means and start feeling the anxiety of the next step trickle in. And Jess and I were just talking about like, wait, how, like, how do you replete potassium? You know, like, well, what do we do? Like, is that something we have to figure out now? Um, so I think it's, it's an interesting time, but I mean, it's such a privilege, you know, to, to finally have made it to this point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a long process. Longer for some, mm -hmm. Jessica, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. mine took a little bit too long. Hopefully not as long for everyone else. But yeah, it doesn't really hit you. At least it didn't hit me until the first day of entering here. Mm. When you walk in, you're like with your freshly minted white coat. And then all of a sudden you're getting your first page and you're like, let's go. And mm -hmm. then quickly two hours into it, you're like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Let me text everyone who could possibly help me about what <laughs> putting in uh, admin orders is like. <laughs> but, I love yeah, we're like I like want to laugh, and then I'm like, oh wait, that that's gonna be me. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you made it, so that that's, that's like a, you know a great sign. I mean, every, everyone makes it. You know, so some begrudgingly, some thrive, some. <laughs> everyone has different experiences, but I think that you know. I think that, you know, for all that we talk about kind of like 
clerkship model not really reflecting like real residency and like sub i is not doing it i think just the the, the exposure over you know multiple times multiple years to this model of healthcare you you just get comfortable with the environment maybe not with the workflow but the environment and i think that that's more important than anything you just get comfortable talking to patients get comfortable mm -hmm. talking to colleagues to nurses to um just uh, i don't know and 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 depending on what your clerkship experience is like you also learn how to like get things done other than the documentation you know mm -hmm. so like the documentation part to me felt more intern year than med school mm -hmm. how to just navigate the the intricacies of the hospital system but it still feels like the patient care feels very similar if mm -hmm. if not just the added layer of responsibility kind of adds a little bit more depth to it no definitely i agree i mean i think <clears throat> I think uh, I, I, uh, I'm definitely a little bit anxious about our new set of responsibilities, but the best part about medical school and clerkships was really just being exposed to so many different aspects of medicine and surgery. Um, I mean, that's how I found plastic surgery. I had no idea what it was until I actually did an elective and, and I was really surprised with um, the breadth of cases. So I think a lot of it is really just exposure and mm -hmm. learning about the medical care system and what different services have to offer. So definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's tough, right? You know, we talk about the curriculum, the hidden curriculum, you know, where people will always ask, what does it mean to be a good sub-I? What are my expectations? Um, I think what makes it challenging is transitioning from a classroom model for your whole life, right? You're you're given the outline, the homework, the extra credit, like all the things that you could do to succeed. And so it's really framed around a system that rewards like knowledge base, test taking. There's no, like you could really succeed and get to that point without having worked on a team, without having had really like significant failures in that setting or worked just in retail or worked, you know, behind a cash register. Um, like that customer service, that whole piece of it is kind of really thrust on you, like your first rotation. And you're like, I, I did everything. I've done my Anki cards. I did really well on my shelf exam, but like, why didn't I not do well on this rotation? And it's like, how do you tell someone, well, like you just weren't a good person, you know? Like, I think that that piece of it, um, you know, and, and that's not to say everyone who doesn't do well is like a bad person, but really figuring out that, okay, this is a totally different, framework that I have to work and operate in and like what is a workflow you know my, your workflow has always just been kind of studying the most teamwork you've done is maybe doing a group project um so I don't know I, I can see that's like you talk to people and they can they get it and then some people are like what do you mean why did people like you like what what and I think that's probably the most challenging scenario to guide someone through um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's something that like a lot of people, we, I didn't even realize until after you get some feedback and people are like, you did this really well. And you're like, well, I mean, I'm sure you both have heard this. It's like, oh, just quote, be yourself, be a normal person. And you're like, there's no way that like, just that is going to get me through. Right. And then I think that that translated, you know, means other things kind of what, what I was alluding to before, but yeah, I think it's, um, transitions they're, they're, they're tough. And you know, you have to have people on your side that are going to be honest with you. I think that's really important too. 
Absolutely. And I, I kind of want to touch on uh, some like pearls that you just talked about. Um, so clearly both of you guys were expert medical students. You know what I mean? To, to make it this far means that you've achieved some, some amount of success um, and success at different stages. Um, and since we're kind of going to focus on what you guys are like experts at at this point, which is, you know, crushing medical school, um, what, how did you navigate the, the hidden curriculum, the hierarchy of clinical medicine? And if you have any specific kind of experiences that shape that, could you expand on them a little bit? Well, uh, I don't know if I quite crushed it, but I think I did pretty okay overall. And, you know, UCLA is all pass fail. So it's kind of, you know, aside from sub eyes, but um, where you get honors, it's, it's kind of hard to say, but I will say that that is it is definitely tricky to navigate but i think you said did a good job in setting us up for having those kinds of conversations on the clinical teams and team building and i think for me my research background helped in the sense that i did have to work on a team for five years and you know i really had to hone my communication skills and i think at the end of the day it really just comes down to good communication and setting expectations so um you know for context <clears throat> i did two years of medical school, took step one, and then I did five years for PhD. And then I came back to third year medical school. And I had so much anxiety about not remembering anything from step one and getting questions wrong. And um, I was so, so worried about it. And I think one of the pros of having friends who are further along than me was they always reminded me, they're like, hey, we are residents. And honestly, our favorite medical students are the ones who are just excited to learn and are open to feedback and just aren't annoying. It sounds so simple, but it's true. And from the beginning of my rotations, I, I was just, you know, I was honest. I was like, hey, it's, it's been a really long time since I've been clinically involved. Um, I transitioned during COVID, so I didn't really get the same opportunities that were initially planned for me, like a preceptorship and re-immersion into clinical duties. And I think it's just about communicating kind of what you don't know, because the thing is, nobody knows what you don't know. So I just straight up told them, like, you know what, I haven't done a heart and lung exam on like an actual patient in years, I would love for you to watch me and give me feedback. And they loved that. I mean, people love when you admit what you don't know, and you give them tangible tasks that you want them to help you with. And um, I mean, like to my surprise, I did the best on my medicine clerkship because I think I was so nervous about it that I, I was so excited to learn. And I just, I was like, I, you know, I don't know anything. I barely remember where the liver is, like, please help me. Um, and I, I actually did the best on that shelf and like got the best feedback. Um, but I think just setting that expectation from the beginning and then also asking like day one, talk to your chief resident, say, Hey, what, you know, like what? are the expectations for this rotation? How can I be helpful and talk to everyone you'll be working with um, and ask them specifically, like what things can I do that will be helpful to you? Because every individual works differently. And even if you work with like two interns on one team, they might have different preferences. So just ask. And I would always ask for like mid rotation feedback, ask how, how am I doing? You know, what am I doing well? What am I not doing well? And what could I, you know, what could I be working on? Um, and that was always really well received. 
Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with everything just saying, um, you know, when you think about the hierarchy of clinical medicine and how you fit in, I, I think, so let, let me backtrack. I think the way I was successful in navigating clinical hierarchy and just the clinical setting was by really taking the time and frankly, investing the time in understanding the environment I was in and understanding the people and the personalities that I was working with. You know, you have a finite amount of time in the day, right? You could sit in the workroom and be on your phone and do Anki cards or do you world questions because you're like, oh, I, I did my notes. I, I did everything I was supposed to do. That's, that was a, the written expectation, right? Um, so I'm just going to study until someone gives me something else to do. And that's one way of investing your time. And that's fine. I think I chose to invest those blocks of time in looking over my resident's shoulder or, you know, if another resident was going to do something, I'd say, you know, would it be cool if I tagged along? Um, and so I think, you know, I think investing in people is a really underrated or under given a piece of advice. Um, because the more of a relationship you have with the people you're working with, the more comfortable you are admitting your flaws, the more comfortable they are talking to you. I mean, I think I'm even hitting this point where I'm like, I have to teach someone in like a couple of weeks, you know, I like, what am I going to do to a med student who's, you know, super rude or super this, or is in their own head. Um, so I think it goes both ways, you know, and I think um, we have to remember, like, we're all residents in teaching hospitals. And part of that responsibility is teaching med students. So I think we all kind of have this approach of, you know, keep your head down. You're the lowest person on the team. You know, you don't matter. And I remember there was a surgeon at Duke who um, famously said uh, there was, there was some, something going on. And I think someone was being kind of mean to the med student and the surgeon kind of like stops everything and says, there are only two people in this room that are paying to be here, the patient and the medical student. So I think it's just like a little piece that kind of stayed with me that wasn't, you know, a uh, cause to be rude or more, you know, uh, aggressive. But I remember thinking like, yeah, these are people who are trying their best. Um, but I think to those people, I would say spend time knowing your team and like not making friends, but just building relationships with the people around you, because that will make it so much easier to like, in the same way that like, your friends, like you, you can tell when like someone's not doing well. And like people talk about anticipating needs. Right. And they're like, well, how do you, how do you anticipate needs? Like I can't read minds. And it's like, right. You can't, but like all things you learn patterns, right. You see something. And then one day when you don't see that pattern filled, or there's like a blank spot, something in your head can be like, Oh, we usually do this. And maybe, maybe I can go slip out and do that. Um, so I don't know. I think, I think it always sounds like vague advice, but the more I would just implore people to like really think about the settings that you're in and the people that you're working with and recognize that like, yes, this is a resident that like may their future, my future is in their hands. You know, this like dramatic mindset that you have going in, but recognize that like they were in your position very recently. And that, I don't know. I, I just think like, being respectful and getting to know other people goes a long way. And that, that for me, at least has, has worked out um, relatively well. Definitely. Yeah. I, I agree with Masa 100%. Yeah. Good. So, <laughs> <laughs> if I were to digest like a lot of what you're saying so far, all I'm hearing is that it is endlessly complex to be a medical student. 
and it is extremely difficult. And there is communication um, is at the key of it. There is setting expectations, there's vulnerability, there's humility, there are power dynamics, there are understanding people and personalities. And all of these sound like, like a lot of soft skills um, that you, you need to understand. Um, and I think that I, that's what I found in medical school as well, is that, is that there's a lot of complexity of what basically all of that boils down to is what is your personality like? And that's what I struggled with at times was I felt like this was like, whether it was, it was almost, it was just a personality test, but I would challenge you that there's one thing that perseveres over all else. And that's, and this sounds a little bit corny to say, but it's hard work. And I think that I've realized that on the other side where, you know, you can really like having your medical student around personality wise or, or not, not totally mesh with the medical student that's on the team, but no one can doubt hard work. So if you are available, if you are, if you are, um, as you said, looking over the resident's shoulder and around and visible and eager to learn, that always comes through no matter what your personality is like. And the hardest part of that, in my opinion, was persevering with that amount of hard work when you don't feel sometimes appreciated or feel important. And, um, I don't want to belabor kind of this part of the conversation necessarily, but I think that that there's like there's there's a lot to unpack here, which is being a medical student is is hard and that role is is difficult. But if you can kind of navigate all that we just said, which is which is be honest, be vulnerable, be humble and hard and work hard generally good things happen. You, you won't, you won't get into, into bad spots. Right. I think the example I like to think of, although I'm not like a huge sports nerd, like you look at professional teams that win championships back to back to back, you know, Tom Brady's personality might not mesh with everyone on his team, but I think like, if you can remember that you have a common goal in mind and you're all working hard towards that goal, you know, you can make something happen. Right. Um, I don't think like, you don't need to be your resident, right? You don't need to be like, oh, this person likes this and this and this. So if I just, you know, copy that, you know, I'll be good. I think, you know, and if you, if you've worked a job before, if you've worked on a team before, if you've played a sport, if you've played like rec league basketball or soccer, you know, like there are people on the team that are better than you, older than you, and you can slip up and it's still okay. Like you can be a goalie and let five goals go through, like you'll still be a team. Like if you're still working hard and don't have a bad attitude and come back the next day. And I just think like remembering that and remembering that we all make mistakes and, and then that that's part of the process. I think that kind of can at least attempt to calm your anxiety. Cause I do also want to say that I think anxiety gets in a lot of people's way, um, which obviously is its own topic, but just remembering that you know, on top of things like, you know, you belong and, you know, having faith in the fact that you work hard and that that will, that can speak for itself in combination with like other things, obviously, you know, that helps you get there. But, you know, also, I think this is a good time to also point out, like, if you're on sub and you're like, I hate this, you know, like, 
I like these people. I'm working really hard, but honestly, I, I don't like it. I, I hate that, you know, the turnovers or I hate being in the hospital until 8 PM. I don't like that. We do one sentence rounds then like, listen to yourself, you know, like, like that, that might actually be like a huge save. Um, like, don't forget that too, that like, you're still like the captain of your own ship, um, that you have agency and, and you, you know, listen to yourself when, when those things happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, I want to pivot a little bit. Um, I want to pivot to more of the resume building side of things. Mm. And the reason I want to pivot there is because, you know, Masa, you just talked about kind of forgiving yourself and you don't have to be perfect, but with plastics applications, sometimes it feels like you do have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering what your thoughts were on the plastics application cycle in regards to, to building the right resume to match. Um, I think this is, this is a great question and it was a huge part of my own personal, uh, kind of nervousness about even applying into plastic surgery. I mean, I'm an MD, PhD, but, um, MD, PhD, but plastic surgery isn't, uh, historically a specialty that really tends to favor that. Um, and also I, my step one score is not that great. So I was really, really nervous about it. Um, I think just from meeting people this cycle and talking to residents, this is really hard to say and hear, but I don't think there is a perfect application or a perfect applicant. I think more than anything, they're looking for people who stand out. Like I kind of felt like everyone had their own little cell or their own little spiel. And, you know, mine was, I did basic science and my step one score isn't that great, but, you know, I am very into mentorship and teaching and that was where I was going from and um, wanting to be in academic medicine. But uh, yeah, I think especially now there are a lot of programs are leaning more towards a holistic application review. Um, So I don't think there is a perfect, perfect, uh, perfect applicant, but I do definitely encourage people to reach out to residents and attendings and, you know, ask for what they think could make their individual application stronger because that's definitely on a person by person basis. I totally, you know, we keep saying we totally agree with each other, which, you know, maybe you should have gotten two like total enemies to be on the podcast. Um, no, but it's become really evident. There's no perfect applicant and there's no such thing as, um, being the top applicant or a perfect applicant. I mean, could you, I could, I could probably make up someone that is a perfect applicant and also, you know, like plays on the Lakers and is a med student, you know, like we could make up, you know, a version of someone who, who would be super hyper impressive. But I would say, I think this question, depending on where you're at, the answer is a little different. Um, I think if you're an MS1 and you're coming in fresh, your whole life, you knew you wanted to be a hand surgeon and you know, you want to do it through plastic surgery. I think that person can get slightly different advice in terms of resume building. I think you have the, I think you always have the license to be creative, but I think you have a little bit more wiggle room and, 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 uh, you know, clay to mold. I think if you're, you know, almost midway through your clinical rotations, you're an MS3, you're now kind of pivoting into thinking, I want to do plastic surgery. I think that's, that's where people might give you 
slightly varying advice. And I think for that person, I do think it's a little bit more of like the check from what, from what I've heard and what I've seen that checklist of that list, like hidden checklist of things you have to have. That's like been talked about like, Oh, great scores, AOA, um, 20 publications, uh, you know, like whatever top accolade you could think of. That's where I think it gets a little stressful for that person because that's the advice they're getting. And I think, you know, whether that's true or not, I think it really depends on like who you are. And I hate to give like vague advice like that, right? But depends on who you are, right? Let's say you were really interested in pediatrics for forever and everything you've done has really been around that. And you've worked hard towards that, right? You're not gonna, no one's gonna say, there's no way you're gonna match because everything you've done is peds and like you have three months to show that you're interested in plastic surgery. I think your narrative and your story is, I'm a passionate person. I work really hard. Like, I don't, I, I just think that's never going to fail you. Will you get exactly what you want? Maybe not, but, but I think like you, I don't know. I think that you can be in any position and the advice that you give someone about like, what's the resume, what's the right thing to do will change. But I think like having core values that you stick with and that have been consistent throughout your life or practice, that is what matches you, you know? And like, like Jess was saying, I've always been interested in these same three things. And and just because I, you know, decidedly on quote, decidedly, I don't, I don't know if that's a thing, but decidedly on plastic surgery, you could still have an incredibly successful match and, and, and career and life. And, um, the other, I think the biggest advice I can give is finding it's so much harder, easier said than done. Um, finding good quality, honest mentorship. Um, that is a, an invaluable piece of this process. Uh, you could have the perfect resume, but if, if you're not getting good advice and, and, you know, you do know sub eyes because someone told you, oh, you don't need to, you have a perfect application. It's like, you know, collectively here, do we agree with that? No, like from what we've seen, like you, you kind of need a good mentor and there's, you kind of have to do at least, you know, one or two away rotations. Right. So I think find being spending time again, I go back to this investing in people, recognizing that the people around you, your network, your mentor are more important than you might think and spending time really exploring that, um, whether that's within your own institution or, or, you know, reading papers and saying like, wow, I really like everything this one person does. I want to reach out to them and I'd love to be mentored by this person. Um, so yeah, I hope that wasn't too roundabout, but I would say stick to your core values and find an honest, find an, a good mentor who's willing to be honest with you. Um, and you can ask for that too. Cause I think some people are just like, oh, you're great. You're going to do fine. Don't worry. Keep it up. And, and, and I think it's really hard to be, I think, you know, Jess and I both have seen people that we know that didn't match. And it's like, how did this happen? You know, right. the, the quote, like checklist, you know, all these things you're like, well, well, what, you know, should I be more anxious, less anxious? So I, I don't know. I think a mentorship is really important and, um, yeah, having a course value system or some sort of theme that you want to follow. Yeah. And I think that matching is in a given, you know, I think it needs mm -hmm. to be, I think everyone knows that. Mm -hmm. um, I think that building a resume towards matching, um, it can be done. It takes a lot of work. Um, 
And if it's not work that's congruent with who you are, you'll just be miserable. But that being said, you have to put in work one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody matches into a really competitive specialty without putting in work. Um, and I, I don't know. So yeah, I came to the game late. Like I was third year of med school when I realized what plastic surgery even was beyond cosmetic surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, I had some research in orthopedics, but not that much. I was kind of meandering my way through med school, trying to find a niche. And then I personally, I was lucky to go to such a great med school with such a great program. I went to Penn and we had, we had, we have had incredible attendings there. Um, and we had incredible, uh, an incredible resident mentor as well. Um, and I just latched on and I went really hard for, for eight months on, on research and just demonstrated that I was capable. And at that point, that's how the resume resumes are built in my opinion, with putting yourself out there, um, putting in work. And, and that's something that like, I, I don't, I don't know that it's always understood that my first research project, for instance, um, and I guess this is a good kind of going into finding mentors and talking about research and that, and that kind of like lane of this conversation. My first research project was just some data collection on a project that, you know, um, and it was, it was, it was March of my third year and I was about to start applying and I was nervous. I wanted that first author publication. I wanted like a big project to get started on, but the, I didn't have that opportunity yet. Nobody knew me. Nobody wouldn't trust me with like a, a project that was worth anything yet. Right. You have to, you have to first, and I had no independent ideas of my own that I could just go to a resident or attending and just pitch it to them. But the first thing that I did um, was just perform well on what I was entrusted with. And I did the work, did the work well, thought about it, even the data collection, I was I was very purposeful with, and I did it on time and ahead of schedule, actually. And then all of a sudden, they're like, "Oh, this is a reliable person." And I think that that's that is under undersold as a as a as a key in this whole process is that you the impressions you make on the people around you matter, and one of those impressions is being reliable. And there's nothing that really makes up for that impression. Um, now, different people can have different experiences. They can be more forgiving or less forgiving, where maybe some people who weren't as reliable ended up becoming reliable towards the end, or you've had enough experiences. It, it, it really, and that's, and that's these kind of conversations get complicated because you can be like, depends on your situation, as you said earlier, Masa. Um, but how did you, kind of navigate the research game you know when when you're working on projects that you don't necessarily want to work on or you know you know that this is for your resume do you I found that I can only overperform on a project when I almost brainwash myself that this is the most important thing that I've ever done I don't know how you guys do it (laughs) I mean I I think um this is a great room to ask this question because we have a, a PhD in the room and an expert researcher. Um, I would say I felt like the research projects I did initially, you know, served 
a few purposes, right? One was to demonstrate reliability, demonstrate that I was willing to, you know, go the extra mile to get something done, um, regardless of who asked me, whether it was an older med student or um, a resident or an attending. Um, so one was just kind of to, to demonstrate your own character and, and kind of quote, prove yourself in some way. But I also felt like I just, I learned a lot actually doing research, even when it was stuff I didn't really want it, want to do. I think one of the first projects I did was on um, like breast volume post reconstruction and like volume maintenance. I had no idea, you know, half of these terms, I'd never really seen the surgery, um, but like I would read the op note or it would take me a really long time to do chart review, which was like classic, you know, MS2 behavior, but um, that taught me a lot. And so even if it was stuff I didn't like, I tried to frame things in a way where I'm like, well, what do I get out of this, right? Whether that's a conversation you have with the person asking you to do the project or with, whether that's with yourself, I would say like, I mean, I know that you're in a space where you can't quite be picky, right? So maybe the first two projects you do, you're like, I have zero interest in this, but I'm going to learn this skill. Um, but I do think there's something to be said for like, at some point, right? Like, do I actually want to do this or is there something else I can do with my time? Um, so yeah, I would say framing research in a way, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to sound like, you know, above it, but I never really thought of doing things quote for my resume. I thought of it as like, you know, what, it, what does this do for me? Um, and so I remember, I remember thinking like, oh, this person's really good at like delegating tasks to me and they check in on me. Um, and like they checked a couple of my chart review work. And that made me feel good. And I was like, okay, when, when I'm, you know, in that position to do that, this is how I want to approach it. Or, you know, on the other side experiences where you're like, plenty of us have been on papers, you know, this is like the candid version of this conversation, right? It's like, we've all been, we've all done work on, on projects and papers and things that we don't get credit for, or we get less credit than we deserve. And I think that's an important lesson that I kind of learned through this process as well. Um, so I would say be really thoughtful about what you can get out of a project, whether that's, oh, I now have a good relationship with this resident, or um, you know, now I know a little bit more about this particular topic, um, or actually, you know, I figured out some shortcuts in the EMR, or I made some friends with the red cap people, and now I, I, you know, I have a buddy for when I want to start a project. So I, I tried to really like milk it for everything it was worth. Um, and I would just that's how I would approach research that I don't want to do necessarily or from, from the get-go, if it doesn't sound like quite, you know, my first author, big project, but a lot of work. Um, that's how I approach that. Yeah. I, I think um, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before about how it's really building relationships. And I think there's many ways you can build relationships with a residency program, attendings and residents. Um, you know, one is a rotation, but I think research is, one of the best ways to build that relationship. I mean, you're in constant communication. They really get to understand who you are and you know what kind of worker are you? Are you reliable? So I think looking at it from that lens as not just like how many publications can I get, how many presentations can I get, but you're actually, you know, you're you're showing yourself as well. You're showing that, you know what, like I'm willing to work hard and I I want to learn. And I think that's what's the most important. Um, I mean, for me personally, I came from a slightly different background, really heavy molecular biology. I was very late to the plastic surgery game. So 
the, the research projects that I participated in were mostly projects that I actually I wanted to study and I'm more interested in kind of using human tissues that we discard routinely in plastic surgery for molecular biology studies. So that was my kind of twist. And to be honest, I pretty actively would filter for the types of clinical projects that I would get involved in. Um, I'm a big advocate of kind of learning how to politely say no. I think, I mean, I think it's fair game. You, you don't have, you don't have all the time in the world. So if you are going to say yes to a project and drop the ball, it's better to just have said no in the beginning. And I think it's just something that you need to really thoughtfully decide before you kind of agree to take all these things on. Because if you're overwhelmed and you can't handle it and it actually negatively impacts that relationship that you have with that resident or that attending, it's not worth it. And I've heard stories of that. I've heard, you know, I've heard stories where it, it, it goes the opposite way. So I think I think there's a way to say it nicely. Um, you can always kind of phrase it in terms of like, you know, I have other priorities right now. This is incredibly interesting. I would love to be involved, but at this current moment, um, you know, I, I don't know if I can quite dedicate as much time as you might need. But in the future, if you still need extra hands, I would love to be more involved. There's ways to phrase it that don't sound like, oh, I'm just lazy and I don't want to do it. Um, but I, I think I think it's fair game to say no. But also, I don't know. I've I'm older and I'm more comfortable kind of doing that. So it's hard. It's easier said than done. Yeah. And I was going to say, I think it depends on where you're at, right? Again, take everything, every, I think I've been someone, my success in large part is because I've sought out opportunities and I say yes to a lot of things. Um, and it's, not to say don't respect your own boundaries, say yes to everything, you know, be a yes man. I think at times that's not been the most helpful, you know, but I think the reason why a lot of us are successful is because we think creatively and we think big about anything that comes our way. Yes, this might sound like another EMR project, but oh, on the flip side, I can get a relationship with this person and, you know, this can lead to another project and now I'll learn a little bit about something else. It's really about your framework and or how you frame things that really, I think, makes you a average student and an extraordinary person that people find reliable and creative and great to work with um, and a glass half full kind of person. Yeah, I'm, there are a lot of pearls over here. <laughs> this is all super salient advice. Uh, Jessica, what you said about, you know, knowing when to say how, knowing when and how to politely say no is an incredible skill. Um, and then conversely, Masa, like I, I was in the same shoes where it's, it, it depends a little bit on your time frame, right? Where if you have a short time to, to make as good of an impression as possible, maybe you have to say yes to more things than you want to. Um, versus if you have more time to dedicate to you know, really fostering and nurturing your the scientific side of yourself and, 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 and choosing your projects, then, you know, wasting your time on things that might not be as fulfilling or as educational to you 
uh, you just, you need to have that self-awareness and you need to also have the willingness to, to say no. I don't think people judge people for saying no. People judge people for dropping the ball, as you just said. Um, but yeah, um, moving on, I think that, I think that we're, we're starting to kind of reach the end of our conversation and we've had a lot of talk about kind of how to be the, the best kind of version of yourself, the best med student, the best applicant, like what, what some of the difficulties were. How about personal life? What's, how, how do you, how do you stay sane? How, how do you, you know, just give yourself a balanced life while trying to, trying to create this intense career for yourself? Yeah, people always ask me this since I've been in school forever. Um, and I think a big reason why I've been able to stay in school forever and commit to such a long training path is that I try really, really hard to live a balanced life. Um, and I think at the end of the day, it, it is really about knowing yourself and knowing your boundaries. When you're feeling burnt out, like really identifying, oh, wow, I'm feeling unmotivated, kind of what do I need to make myself feel more replenished? Um, and sometimes it also means pushing yourself when you really don't want to, like going for a walk, going outside. It's really easy when you're in the hospital and you're tired and you're on sub eyes, you have one day off to just want to lay there. But I think it's really important to still still make time for the other relationships in your lives, even if it's a FaceTime, a phone call, or, you know, like a quick, like, oh, I missed you text, anything like that, anything counts. And just um, prioritizing your own wellness, whatever that means for you. Um, but in general, that does not mean binge watching TV because that is not going to help you from burnout. You need to like, you need things that fill up your cup, whether that's a hobby or an activity or going outside, walking, exercising. Um, for me, it's always like food and, and kind of building that sense of community. And I think it's just, it's just a really important part of life. And at the end of the day, it's, I think life is really about relationships, whether it's in work with your patients or in your personal life. Um, and you have to make time for it just as you would make time for anything else in your life. I wish I could be more like Jess. Um, I've, you know, we've all listened to podcasts and interviews and it always ends with like, Oh, how do you, how do you do all, how do you do it all? You know, like, how do you manage this and that and having this? And I, I don't know. I just, I think the honest answer is like, sometimes there's zero balance and the scales are fully on the career yeah. or the school side. And it's true. I, you know, teach their own. Um, but I think it's an important subject to really bring up mental health and like checking in with yourself. You know, let's say you're like, I'm in a zero balance part of my life. Right. Um, like, am I okay? <laughs> you know, do, do, like, and, and, and I think just stopping at that question of like, do people around me think I'm okay? Um, what am I dropping the ball on? Um, I just, I can't stress enough how important it is to take care of yourself. You know, I think whether it's through your own small acts of wellness um, or whether that's scheduling an appointment with a therapist or reaching out to a friend that you know is like, you know, pretty active in the mental health space and like, hey, like, do you see someone that you're happy with? Like, you know, what do you, how did you transition to do this? Like, I really think it's important to not beat around the bush on this topic. I think we can all pretend that we have balance and I can say, you know, I've spent time with my friends and I, I, you know, called people and 
but the, at the end of the day, I think we do need to acknowledge that most of us in this process don't have balance. I think applying to residency, being a fourth year med student, transitioning to being a new doctor, there needs to be some element of acceptance that like you may be someone that might not have that balance. And how do you usually act in those scenarios? Do you need extra help? Do you need medication? Do you need a therapist? Do you need to be proactive about that in different ways? Um, so yeah, check, I think checking in with yourself is the most important thing. And I cannot stress how lucky I am that I had a community of people around me that really believed in what I was doing, believed in me and, and wanted me to go forward. Um, and I, yeah, like, so I, I think, I don't know, I was someone who was like very accepting that I had zero balance at certain times. Um, but then, you know, now I'm like nothing to do for, you know, a month and a half. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I think, um, I just think being honest with yourself can go a long way. I think, um, that's the key to this whole thing is being honest with yourself. Yeah. Right. Yes, can, definitely. Can, can I work, can I work that hard? Like what I see and what I want to do. Can I hit that or no? And if it's no, that's fine. Or, you know, you know, being honest with myself. Do you think, can I do this successfully? Like, can I, can I do this, you know, 200 patient chart review? Do I want yeah, to? Do I want to? <laughs> can I overcome yeah. the, I don't want to like just recognizing and being honest with yourself um, can go a long way. And I, I don't know, obviously that's super vague, but when you're in a tight spot, you just have to be like, what is, what, what would I like, what would I do? You know, or like, what would the honest person I know do? Um, yeah. and helping guide yourself that way. Yeah, no balance is balance. We talk about it a lot and few people have it, um, especially in our fields. And I think that something that's really refreshing that you said was just knowing that some, sometimes you don't have balance and how are you coping? That's, the coping mechanisms with which we we deal with that imbalances, they they only become more pronounced over time, and you guys will inevitably see that next year. <laughs> <laughs> no, I no, I I definitely appreciate that Masa brought up the whole mental health thing because I think I think it is a good point that there will be times that we're not balanced. It's it's inevitable, and of course I've had those times in my life, and I think that's those are the moments where I learned balance learned how to balance and I learned healthier coping mechanisms. And, and yeah, a lot of it was really through therapy. And I think therapy is a, a means to better introspection, right? So once again, going back to this theme of like knowing yourself, um, you know, I think some people, you know, maybe they can achieve that level of self-awareness independently, but sometimes you're so tired and you can't even think about what you really need. And I think that's, that's when, you know, close relationships and therapy can help because they can be like, Hey, this is what I think you need. You need to help yourself. You need to do something. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Having a good therapist, one that doesn't just tell you what to do, but allows you to figure out what you want to yeah. do for yourself is that's uh, highly, highly recommended. Definitely. <laughs> highly recommended. Everyone needs a therapist. <laughs> 10 out of 10 recommend. A form of therapy that I enjoy is food. Um, so to round this out, I want one restaurant recommendation from you guys. Um, and then that'll be it for the episode. I got to give this one to Jess because she has like a whole <laughs> Miss Los Angeles foodie oh, over here. I, love, yeah, I got I nothing food. on this one. I was once Yelp elite until I stopped. Um, wow. I stopped no way. On. 
Yeah, it was it was fun. They had events. And then once the event stopped, I was like, I have zero motiv- motivation. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'll definitely miss the food in LA. But uh, my, like some of my favorite restaurants are Bestia and Bovell. You kind of have to get a reservation ahead of time. But if you're in LA, I mean, delicious. So good. 10 out of 10 recommend. Let me see. So I actually, I just left Durham after being there for a decade. And I... I stand by Barbara Jill having the best burger in Durham. And so it's like a no reservation, just walk in place. Um, I don't know if you've been Henny, but it's great. Oh yeah. We're we're a fan. (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. My favorite place here is M Sushi, but um, it's, it's just, it's really good. (laughs) It's in my, I I don't disagree. It's it's, it's up there. It's a, it's, it's not a hot take, but <laughs> it's not a hot take at all. It's not a hot take. You know, I don't need to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Balance. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. With, with this podcast, my actual main goal was just to get people to give me restaurant recommendations. Mm. And <laughs> I think that, you know, I'll succeed in getting some pretty good ones. So you gotta really think bigger. I have more. I can give you like a list. You need a sponsorship. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) You need to do the podcast at MCC and have them like. All right. All right. Well, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll show them this podcast. We'll show them the views numbers. All right. We're going to have to, we're going to have to get this really popular so that they can just help me personally out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Please please be the hungry resident. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much. This was an incredible, incredible um, conversation. And um, it was such a pleasure to have both of you guys on. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. It was really fun. And I'm glad we got to talk about a lot of these topics that are really important to, I think, all of us. So, yeah. Yeah. And good luck with next year. As a plastic surgeon with a unique vision for each patient, the more options you have at your fingertips, the better. Natrell is one of the portfolios available to you. To learn more, visit natrellsurgeon.com.